0: the power of their data wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.
1: Episode 56, Boston Loose Baseball. Grant Paulson, Toby Altizer giving you Nats content that you crave. On this episode, an update on Steven strasburg It's sad, but not unexpected. Plus, Gray and Gore on the mound in a home series against the Phillies. How did the kids fare? And we'll dive into the bullpen and whether or not the Nats need a lefty reliever, all coming up on Bustin' and Loose Baseball, and it starts right now.
0: This is Bustin Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Gosh! Interviews, analytics, and analysis on
1: everything baseball in the nation's capital. Episode 56 of Bustin' and Loose Baseball. I'm Grant. He's Toby. Three game series with the Bills in the books. Day off today and then a really surprisingly good Diamondbacks team coming to town who are hovering atop the National League West, led by rookie sensation Corbin Carroll. Toby, how are you?
2: Doing good. I was hoping that the Nationals could win that series against the Phillies. That way we could continue to hold it over Philadelphia for at least a little while longer that we had the same record, but unfortunately, you tie them up in the standings and then lose two in a row, but it was fun to see the boys battle against a good team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, they've played about 500 ball for several weeks now, which is better than we mostly anticipated. I, I just care more about their games when Gray and when Gore pitch and when the kids are at the plate. You know, I, I'm more locked in and, and that's more interesting to me. And so we can get into some of those specifics right now. Let's start with game one of the Philly series, which they ultimately won. Josiah Gray pitched, ran out of gas late in the start, it appeared. Uh, I thought he threw better than the line to some extent. Five and a third innings of six hits, four run ball with a couple walks and four strikeouts. What'd you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that overall he probably pitched better than that. But I mean, it Gray for the last couple of outings, he's it, been really battling with his stuff. It hasn't been as sharp. He hasn't been what you saw early in the year where he was kind of dominating on the mound and was looking really, really good. But he's found a way to keep his team in ball games even when he doesn't have his a stuff. So I think this season we've seen, especially over his last, I would say month or so of starts, he's had to pitch and he's had to find a way to get through outings where he didn't have his best stuff. I think this was another one. You'd like to see him be a little bit sharper at some point and get back to, you know, go out and have a seven inning outing where he limits the hits. He limits the walks and keeps the ball in the ballpark. But I mean, overall pretty solid outing. I would say once again, yeah, to your point,
1: And I think that's perfectly said, it has not quite been to the level that early in the season it was. In fact, if you're looking at just from swings and misses and stuff and strikeouts as an example, he has not had uh, the same number of strikeouts that he's pitched in innings or, or more Ks than innings pitched since April 25th, I believe. You know, right around the start of May, it's, you know, it's mostly been, you know, he's had a seven inning, three strikeout game, a seven inning, five strikeout game, and I'll take those. But my point is, I just don't know that the stuff, getting ahead, throwing strikes, like it hasn't all been there. One sign over the last couple of starts we've got to keep track of that's not as encouraging as you'd like is that the difference between his season last year where he really struggled and this year where his ERA just now jumped over three for the first time since his first start is he has kept the ball in the park. There was a nine-start stretch after he gave up back-to-back home runs to begin the season to the Braves in a three-homer appearance. From his second start at Colorado until two starts ago, over nine outings, he gave up two total homers, Toby. He's given up three now in his last two games. He gave one up against the Royals in that four-inning outing where he threw way too many pitches, which was by far his, his worst outing of the season since you know the Braves game to start. And then in this past outing against Philadelphia, he gave up multiple home runs. And the good news is, you know, if you're not giving up three-run homers or grand slams, you can still hang in games, solo or two-run shots. But that's something to monitor because that was almost a a one-note problem for him last year as to why his season got off the rails.
2: One thing I noticed, and I was texting with our buddy about this, it's really weird when you look at baseball savant and look at his numbers, and he's got a really good slider, but you look at the the, the actual profile of the pitch, and it doesn't move a whole lot. So I don't know what it is about his slider that's so effective because – I think his movement horizontally is like 0.7 inches. Like it, it's hardly at all. And percentage wise break, according to the average major league slider is minus 83%. Like it just doesn't move the same amount. And he throws a cutter. So you would think that maybe his slider is more like a cutter, but he throws a cutter too. So it's really interesting to see some of the profile of his stuff. And this just goes back to our point when we talked about gray and Gore before Gore's stuff is just so much better. So, you know, when you talk about Gore and some of the walks and different things, you want him to be aggressive in the strike zone because his stuff is so electric. He can blow a fastball by a guy. He can get guys to swing at pitches in the other strike uh, in the other batter's box and make them look foolish because his stuff is so good. That's not necessarily the case with Josiah Gray. So, you know, his whip is a little higher than you'd like to see actually probably a lot higher than you'd like to see, but he's found ways to limit the runs that have come off of it. So know uh, I just want to see him get back to what he was a little bit earlier in the season where he was a little bit more effective, going a little deeper into outings. And he felt like he was kind of on top of his game. I feel like he's done a good job of limiting the runs in these outings, but I I wouldn't say that any outing really over the last month has been all that spectacular for him.
1: No, I think that's fair. Just looking at his usage this year compared to last year and, and over the last couple of years, he's throwing his four seam fastball way less. Uh, In 2021, when he first broke into the big leagues, he was throwing that pitch 51% of the time. Then last year, he threw it 39% of the time, which was a huge drop. This year, down to 28% of the time. Uh, What is he throwing more? Well, the slider that you referenced. You know, in his initial big league action, he threw it about 20% of the time two years ago. Last year, up to 29.5% of the time. And a career high now, uh, 29.6% of the time, just a little bit more than last year. Uh, he's throwing his curveball a little bit less than he did last season. He's added a, a sinker last year that he's throwing now just a tad more than he did a couple of years ago, right around 4% of the time. And he's thrown, I think, two change-ups this year. But for the most part, the, the pitch usage for Josiah Gray is 30% sliders, 28% four-seamers, 20% cutters, which is the, the pitch he was working on and wanted to add this year, and then about 20% curveballs. So it, it, it's I don't want to say it's, um, you know, an even distribution, but there's really no predominant pitch that he's going to necessarily. And some of the numbers for him aren't where you'd like them to be in terms of predicting into the future. Right. Uh, his strikeout percentage is 25th percentile. His walk percentage, he's walking too many guys, is 19th percentile. Um, this is not a guy that's going to blow you away with velo. It's 26th percentile velocity. He's not getting a ton of chases, 37th percentile. And he's not a high spin rate guy, 12th percentile fastball spin, 32nd percentile curveball spin. But what he's done really well is he's missed for the most part in the, the middle of the plate, uh, missing bats. And what I should say, said a different way. Uh, he has avoided missing in the middle of the plate and running into the fat part of the bat. Hard hit percentage, 63rd percentile, average exit velo about 70th percentile. So if you look at it for him, He's kind of middle of the pack among pitchers and expected slug, middle of the pack in barrel percentage. Like that's where I think he's had a lot of success. The ERA of 3.09 is not indicative, probably, of like what it should be. Maybe it should be closer to four, but he's definitely made strides. And as you said, it's just it'll be important now to see him get a big start and get a six inning outing where he punches out eight or nine and and looks like the guy that was pitching in April, because it's been a little while since we've seen that. Uh, the Nats in that first game, to their credit, did get a win. Uh, that was kind of a wild game, by the way. They were up huge early. Then the Phillies whittled away little by little, came all the way back to tie the game at 7-7. The Nats were up 6 nothing after two, and eventually they got a eighth-inning run to win the game, 8-7. It was the most entertaining game of the series, certainly for Nats fans, I would say, uh, against the Phillies.
2: Yeah, I mean, good for the Nats to battle back and get a win for Gray or at least a win and a Gray start. So, yeah, I mean, the the next step for Gray again is just getting back to being a good pitcher again and getting his stuff to be good. Maybe this is just part of a, a little bit of a downstretch for him of the schlog of a 162 game season where you're pitching every fifth day. And, you know, you still got to remember last year he kind of went through it for the first time. So this is really only his second go round as a full-time major league starter so he's still learning but you know I'll take him learning and keeping his ERA around three I mean that's pretty solid for him so far his numbers maybe are a little bit lower than you'd expect but that's a credit to him for getting out of jams
1: Mackenzie Gore started on Saturday and I thought he battled pretty well he gave up more hits than he's given up in any start this season nine base hits but super encouraging to see that he didn't have a single walk I believe that was the first time this season he didn't walk a batter Six strikeouts over six innings for him, a quality start in a competitive game. Uh, The Nats end up losing the game. But that was the second straight start, Toby, where McKenzie Gore went at least six innings. And he's trending now in the right direction. That's 13 innings of four-run ball over his last two starts. Remember, he had had a sequence where he had three straight outings where he pitched four or five innings. And in fact, three out of four outings where he pitched sub-six innings and was in the fours in innings pitched. You know three out of four times so to see him now get deeper into the game you know be a little more efficient not have as many foul balls not have as many long counts I thought that was a really good sign against a pretty good lineup albeit one that's been struggling
2: yeah that's the big thing for Mackenzie Gore is being pitch efficient and finding ways to get out of innings without throwing 25 30 pitches and he did that in this outing he got through the six innings you know, you'd like to see him keep the ball in the ballpark. They get him two runs to tie it back up, and then he gives up the leadoff homer to Real Muto in the sixth inning. But credit to him, he bounced back, struck out the next two batters, then got, uh, I believe, a ground ball to finish out the inning. So, you know, Gore coming off that outing in Kansas City, maybe you'd like to see him put two really, really good outings back to back and kind of feel like, the, you know, he's he's ascending and being coming a star. But I think overall a solid outing I mean the the Phillies have a good lineup it's crazy to think that their record is what it is because if you just look at the lineup and going against them it's pretty tough and one thing that he mentioned post game that I thought was interesting is he said he's maybe faced the Phillies the most out of any team so far throughout his career so those are the guys that know him so unlike going against a lot of these teams think of the Royals think of his first time through the National League East he hasn't necessarily faced all these teams so it's their first time seeing him. so if he's really effective it's maybe partially because they don't know his arsenal, don't know him yet. He's faced the Phillies a couple of times, whether it's specifically out with the Padres. So they knew him a little bit. He'd had some success against those guys, but encouraging sign to see him put the back-to-back outings of seven innings and six innings together.
1: Yeah, and to you know the point we were talking about with Josiah Gray, where we referenced you know, the ERA's 309, but you know maybe there's some luck in there, and, and, and maybe the ERA should be higher than that, just as an example. I mean, with Mackenzie Gore, uh, his ERA is 3.6, his fifth is 3.9. So it, I would say that's a, a sign of you know, him being about where he should be, honestly, right? I mean, it's it's kind of been the, the numbers show that uh, like he, there, there's not a regression coming, in other words. I think there hadn't been a lot of luck that, that it's going to come crashing down or anything like that, um, whereas with Gray, with the 3.09 ERA, you know, the, the fielding independent pitching would indicate that, you know, he has pitched with some luck. And, and we'll see, you know, what happens in the, the weeks and the months ahead. Uh, but I, I just think for me with Gore, it's about not walking guys and pitching deeper into games. Those are the two things that I've been harping on. The stuff's outstanding. Like, we know that. Uh, I, I mentioned velocity for for uh, Josiah Gray, like not being top half of the league, not at end of the world. I mean, you're talking about a lefty that's almost 80th percentile on fastball velo, 64th percentile spin rate, 93rd percentile extension, 70th percentile chase rate. Uh, There are some really encouraging things here that look like front of the rotation, ace type things for the 24-year-old Mackenzie Gore. One thing I wanted to point out about him, though, I think we texted about this during the game. He gets too upset at himself at times. And I've heard Kevin Franzen reference this on the telecast a couple times as a former big leaguer and a hitter that I think Franny's point was I liked seeing pitchers kind of react that way because it gave me more confidence. It showed me they're not trusting like that. They know where the ball's going or they don't feel great or they're mad at themselves. Or it kind of felt like that was when they were about to make a mistake, I guess is kind of his point. And I do think being angry on the mound is okay. Like there's nothing wrong. He's a perfectionist, but you know, talk to yourself, Gio Gonzalez style, whatever. But he gets kind of very um, like visually upset. They'll like slam his hand down on his thigh or they'll curse real loud and kind of hit his mitt like those types of things. You're, you're now welcoming the hitter into your mental head case issue in that moment in a way that's probably not helpful. I don't know how to to kind of correct that on the fly, but I would just say like from a it's a good thing. Largely, I, I think he he thinks like he's should be going out throwing seven scoreless innings. And that at its core is probably like a healthy thing, but they've got to find a way to encourage him to tone some of that down and, and to dial some of it back because it actually might be working against them a little bit with making hitters feel better as they're in the box. It's just such a mental thing trying to get a hit and feel like you can.
2: Yeah. And one thing that I was encouraged by in the Royal start that didn't carry over into the Phillies start was in the Royal start, he would blow guys away with fastballs, and he would just say, well, screw it. They can't hit the fastball. I'll just keep throwing it to them. And if they can't hit it on the first two, I'll throw it again and strike them out on the third one. And for whatever reason, I can't remember exactly who it was, but it ended up being an rbi base hit, I believe. He went fastball, fastball, and the first two pitches, I believe, were fouled off, but both of them very late. Then he went curveball, curveball, ended up being an rbi and I don't know if that's a kbert thing. I don't know if that's a Mackenzie Gore thing, but sometimes I think they try to get a little too perfect because his stuff is so good. Like he can be a Cy Young caliber pitcher, I think down the road and his stuff is that good that sometimes they try to get a little bit too perfect with it, Or sometimes you're just better than the other guy go up there and throw the fastball. Like you've heard guys talk about it. You heard him talk about it in the Padres series with Soto mentioning it, Bob Melvin mentioning it. And obviously they understand a little bit better than us since he spent time there but that 96-97 on his fastball plays up because of the extension, and his stuff is so good, sometimes they just overthink it a little bit and they try to be too fine, you know, paint a corner as opposed to just put it in the zone and try to make the guy hit it. If he gets a hard hit off it, tip your cap to him, great for them, but I'm going to take my chances with Gore's stuff a majority of the time against just about every major league hitter so. Yeah, I think the frustration part does become very evident that he expects perfection, which is totally fine, like you said, but he needs to understand sometimes you don't have to be so fine and not every pitch is going to go exactly where you want it as well. The gone.
1: From Mackenzie Gore and Josiah Gray trying to become top of the rotation arms that can pitch Washington to a championship to a guy who – Climbed that mountain. Steven Strasburg, the news this week, while not stunning or even unexpected to me and many others, was very sad and is a punch to the gut. Uh, Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post wrote, going back to Saturday, I guess it was, that Strasburg's not been able to perform any rehab activities for over a month. He talked to three sources that told him that the 34-year-old right-hander has been shut down. Uh, and is not doing anything right now physically to try to get back in the rotation because he can't. Uh, he's dealing with severe nerve damage, was what Doherty said, and there's doubt within the Nationals organization as to whether or not he'll ever pitch again. Toby.
2: Yeah, it's really sad. And honestly, if you, your first thought when you hear severe nerve damage. It's not to think that can he get back on a major league mound again? It's can he live a normal life again? Can he get back to being able to just being a husband, a dad, a regular human again without having to deal with pain in his right arm? And who knows if that's going to be the case. And that's kind of sad because this is a guy that was drafted by the Nationals, was one of the highest uh, rated prospects of all time a guy that everyone was excited to see you remember his first performance where he goes out there and strikes out 14 you remember you know most strikeouts through his first three games as a starter you remember all the hype around him and he lived up to it honestly I had a buddy text me like was he did he underwhelm was it like the dude has a career era of like 324 and won a world series mvp like you can't ask for much more and he's one of the greatest postseason pitchers of all time like it, in my opinion, this is probably the end for Strasburg and I kind of already come to terms with that, but to see it in writing from Jesse and just see the reporting that maybe he's not going to be able to just live a normal life afterwards. It's kind of, it's kind of sad to see for Stras.
1: Yeah. When he pitched once last year and it was about a year ago this week, I think when he pitched uh, his one game and he left the start and there was a setback and he had pain again and, and they had to go back to the well on trying to figure out what was wrong and Davey, if you remember shortly after that, was very emotional and kind of fighting back tears, talking about Strasburg and what he'd been going through. <clears throat> That's when I decided, like, this is not going to work. Uh, I didn't know for sure he would never pitch again at that moment, but that was kind of what I had prepared myself for. That was my expectation. And then this offseason, as I talked to some people around the ball club about, like, where we were and what was going on, it became very obvious to me that if he pitches in the big leagues again, it'll it'll stun them. And and that it's just not something the organization thinks is going to happen. Um, it's a seven-year, two hundred and forty-five million dollar contract that they gave him right after he was the World Series MVP. And while it's easy for me to crush that contract now, because he'd had so many arm problems and so many injury issues, you know, going into that offseason when he pitched all the way through the World Series, he was coming off of, you know, his Workhorse year, a 209 inning season where he led Major League Baseball and uh 33 starts where he posted every five days and 250 strikeouts and top five in the Cy Young balloting. And he had mostly been pretty healthy for the couple of years before that. So because of that, I didn't kill them when they signed him. Frankly, I was just desperate for them to keep one of their guys. I wanted it to be Rendon at the time. That hasn't worked out for him. And the same contract, by the way, seven and two forty five with the Angels you can make the case that that's been almost as big a disaster and he's been on the field a lot more. Um, But, you know, at the time, I think I was probably happy about the deal because Strauss was coming back and they were extending this window with with elite pitching. But it's a nightmare contract. And if we could have removed our emotions at the time, the moment they signed it, it was a terrible idea just because of the age and the injury history. But that aside, right, as he's now going to kind of be able to collect on that deal. And it doesn't sound like the learners have any insurance to your point, and, and I think you, you said something that's more important. So number one, we have a baseball podcast. We have a little bubble of baseball talk here. I mean, this is about a human being. And I do hope the best for him and his kids and his wife. And like that, he's able to just go throw the ball in the yard, you know, and, and wrestle with them on the floor and not have pain. Like that stuff's super important. Uh, from a baseball standpoint, it's amazing to me when I hear people crush this guy's career or talk about like, if, as if he was a disappointment or if you want to do a what could have been bit with Steven Strasburg, I think that makes sense because he was hurt so much and his career got derailed by injury. Like he could have been Verlander. He could have been Scherzer. He could have been pitching till he was 40 as a top five arm in the game like that. that if he was a healthy guy, was a was potential. But he was so damn good when he pitched like he might have been the best pitcher in baseball over a couple of years stretch. He led the league in strikeouts in 2014. He led the league in innings in 2019. He led the league in fielding independent pitching and and home run rate in 2017. Uh, His first season when he came up and punched out 14 Pirates in the debut that you referenced, still one of the greatest nights of sport of my life at Nats Park. First time I saw the ballpark come to life. That year, Toby, he had 12 starts. It was like a Fernando Mania kind of thing with Strauss. 68 innings, 92 Ks, 12 strikeouts per nine. Like, no one could hit him. He, he had a sub-three earned run average and a FIP of 2.08. Uh, the next year he made five starts and had a 1.5 ERA before he got shut down with the injury. When he threw, he, he was great. And he pitched this team to a World Series as the best arm on the staff the entire October run. Like, this was an unbelievable career. And I hope people acknowledge that. I, it's complicated, but this notion that, like, man, they should have done something else at number one overall. Yeah, right. You're crazy. Dustin Ackley went two. Like the guys that went after him all stunk. He was a stud.
2: Yeah. And I think this goes with two things I want to bring up. One, this is why us as sports media fans on Twitter and different things need to be careful on the expectations you put on people. If you're telling me that a guy like Steven Strasburg underperformed, well, then you put too much expectation on him because you expected him to be the all-time greatest pitcher of all time. And, that's fine. You can maybe hope that he does that at some point, but to put those kind of expectations and then Strauss goes out and has the kind of career he does and you say he underperformed is ludicrous. And two, something that I thought was really cool to see with Strauss. When he came up, he's this guy throwing 99-100. He's electric. He's just blowing guys away. And then you think of the World Series run and it's a guy that's throwing a change up in a 3-0 count because he's got so much control of his pitches. He's throwing curveballs in 2-0 counts because he knows the hitter is not going to be looking for it, and he turned into a pitcher. And to see the evolution of Strasburg's career and see him evolve as some of the injuries took away some of that velocity and see him just turn into such a complete baseball player was really cool to see, and it's sad to see it come to an end, but you know, as, as tough as it is, 2019 and seeing him on the mound for that World Series was phenomenal and a cool memory, kind of one of the last memories we'll have with him.
1: Yeah, I'm just looking back now. I pulled up the 9 draft. So Strasburg was the number one pick. Dustin Ackley, Donovan Tate, Tony Sanchez, and Matt Hobgood went two through five. Just to give you an idea. Uh, If you're looking for arms that had long careers, Zach Wheeler, now with the Phillies, drafted by the Giants. uh, He was the sixth pick in that draft. Um, Mike Miner, who was the seventh pick in the draft, kind of had a great second half of his career with Texas. And a couple other stops he was drafted out of Vanderbilt. By the Braves, um, Aaron Crow, the Royals took, got to the big leagues. Uh, AJ Pollock, longtime major leaguer, went 17. Shelby Miller, 19. Kyle Gibson, uh, now with the Orioles by way of the Rangers and the Twins, uh, 22 overall. And then Mike Trout, who's going to go down as the greatest player ever, went 25th that year. He was from Millville Senior High in, in New Jersey, and not a lot of scouts got to see him because of the weather and the schedule and the fact that it's upstate. Uh, you know, here on the East Coast, but. Um, that'll go down as one of the great late first round picks ever, obviously. But the, the point of, I'm making is like, if Paul Skeens, right. Is the pick for the nationals at number two overall. Like, I saw people debating this a few weeks ago. Like if he became Steven Strasburg, would that be worth the pick or not? And like, that's not even a conversation. It's so stupid. Like, oh, you mean a guy that finishes routinely in the top 10 in Cy Young balloting that multiple times in a three year stretch. Uh, in the prime of his career, is in the top five in Cy Young balloting. Who pitches you to a World Series title as the World Series MVP? Who's an All Star more often than not in the prime of his career? You know, who, who's one of the toughest pitchers to deal with in the league for years. That's a like yes, it could have been better, but he was what they thought he was. And uh, I guess that's all I you know I, I wanted to get across about Strasburg. By the way, there was a you know the the second round of that. uh Draft in, in 09, just oh, by the way, was almost better than the first round, like crazy enough, or at least you know, the supplemental round picks. Nolan Arenado, Jason Kipnis, DJ LeMahieu, wow. Corbin uh went 80th overall that year. Kyle Seeger, Will Myers, Brandon Belt, uh Miles Michaelis, Dallas Keichel, Paul Goldschmidt went like 246th overall. Uh, anyway, um, we could keep talking about the 09 draft, but Steven Strasberg sucks, it's sad, it's disappointing. But we have very likely, as we all kind of knew, seen him for the final time.
2: One thing, he didn't come to opening day this year. I kind of wish that he would have. I understand he doesn't want to take away from it. I'm hoping that maybe next year or at some point he can return to the ballpark and people can give him an ovation and just recognize how much this city appreciates what he did. Because I think, you know, he's probably got to be going through it as someone that is trying to come back. I know he probably still wants to compete at this point. He doesn't want to be the guy that, Got paid the two hundred and forty-five million and basically did nothing for the franchise and be the guy that we're all going to talk about for years as one of the worst contracts in DC sports history. But I hope that at some point he can come back to Nats Park. Maybe it's not in the next couple of years. Maybe it's you know after he's officially retired. But coming back and having his name put up in Nats Park, like I'm excited for those sorts of memories for Strasburg, where he can feel the love from DC sports fans.
1: Very well said. I echo those sentiments. I will verbally. Retweet my guy, Toby Altizer. Hey, Uh All right, let's talk Nat's bullpen here. Current Nationals bullpen. Uh, looks like as we tape this, Andres Machado might get DFA'd, uh, which, look, if you've been watching him this season, this is not personal, but it has been ugly. Uh, 8-4 ERA, 1.7 whip. He got rocked by the Phillies. An in inning, five hits, four runs earned. A walk. The game got away from him on Sunday. And, and as has been the case too often, when he's come into the game, uh, you know, it just blew up on him. I will say that he's been okay at times the last two years in 2021 and in 2022, he pitched in 91 games for the nationals with an ERA in the mid threes, but uh, it's, it's three years. It's over hundred appearances here. He's had plenty of opportunities. Uh, it's just not working. So I have no problem moving on from him, but we've talked a lot about Davey and bullpen usage. I mean, they just don't have many quality arms right now. Like, look at their bullpen. It's Finnegan, Harvey, and Edwards, and even those guys have their own flaws, and it seems like one out of every three or four appearances for Finnegan and Harvey, you know, they give up multiple runs, but otherwise are pretty nasty. Erasmo Ramirez is getting more work than I'd like, who was the org pitcher of the year last year, and the bloom is off the rose a little bit. He's got an ERA up around six, and he strikes out a, basically a half batter in every inning. 26 inning, 13 Ks, doesn't miss bats, has a one-and-a-half whip, Like, I'm not interested in that at all. I'd love to see him not on the roster as well, if we're being honest. Uh, But how many guys can you DFA at once? Mason Thompson was maybe the best reliever in baseball for a few weeks to start the year, and it has been a a mess since. If you look at his last seven appearances, he's been back on track. But there was a stretch there where, I mean, he just you couldn't count on him. So he's kind of back to being maybe reliever number four right now for Davey. But other than that, it's Chad Cool who I thought looked really good the other day, throwing 95, pitching in a couple innings. They're hoping to get something out of him uh, in the back of the bullpen on B-days. And then Thaddeus Warder, they don't really trust because he throws too many balls and walks a lot of guys. But this is the whole bullpen, man. It's Finnegan, Harvey, Edwards, Ramirez, Thompson, Cool, Ward. That's the entire list. They'll add someone to the 40-man and replace uh, Machado with that pitcher. But as we've talked about, they don't really have great AAA options. So it, it, they're just, it's not a good bullpen,
2: period. No. And it's tough because right now, basically whatever guy Davey decides to go with, it seems like it's the wrong guy because he comes in, gives up the run, or maybe he decides to leave them in for multiple innings, and that second inning they just can't get a guy out. Erasmo Ramirez had that the other day. He went one inning strong, and then the next inning he got left in, and he just couldn't get an out. So, I mean, you could criticize Davey all day long, and I understand that because you like to think along with the manager – and I appreciate passionate fans, but at the same point, who are you putting in? You know, you put in the other guy, he's probably going to do something similar, maybe a little bit better, but maybe even a little bit worse. It's a tough spot to be in if you're Davey, and it's a really weird spot with this bullpen where I almost want him to just try other guys in high leverage roles and see if it works. You know, I know you mentioned not trusting Thaddeus Warden. I understand it. I do get it. Like, he walks too many guys, and he doesn't necessarily have the elite stuff, but... At the same point, maybe try him it because it's not like Finnegan's working every time. It's not like Harvey's working every time or Edwards. I mean, it, it's such a tough spot to be in if you're Davy, where especially if your starters aren't giving you six and seven innings and you're having to go to the bullpen early on. I mean, good luck trying to piece together the rest of that game and keep the lead if you have it.
1: I think that's the key, by the way. Like the, the way out of this is the de- depth and length from your starters. You know, they just have to go deeper in the games. We've talked about gore having several four inning outings and gray doing the same thing and jake irvin is kind of a five and dive guy at this point like when you go young in the rotation i know this happens but you can't have both of these two things like you can't have a thin not particularly good bullpen that basically has three reliable arms and i'm not even saying like three ace arms i'm saying just three guys that you can rely upon as what you would traditionally think of as like setup guys in a championship level bullpen and then everyone else you'd like to avoid in close games like that doesn't work let alone in a situation where your starters almost never go 7 innings and and frankly they got to let corbin just give up runs and pitch deep into games sometimes i think and and they should do the same with trevor williams like i'm surprised they take him out as early as they do in some of these games i know Davey's trying to manage to try to win them i i would be managing to get my two veteran arms to like 7 innings if i could or certainly 6 i, I don't care if they're throwing 110 pitches like i will put those pitches on Williams arm matters less to you long-term and on Corbin same thing and just try to, to save the bullpen as best I can because I think that'll make them better in the games that they can win but if you look at their pitching numbers over the last just say two weeks or so over the last 15 days you know bullpen ERAs Edwards 7 Finnegan 3-1 Harvey 4-5 Machado was at 19 Erasmo's at 21 like, sorry about it, but that, that's just not going to fly. Um, but I, I don't know what the fix is. You know, Doherty wrote in the Post on Monday today as we tape this about the possibility of adding a lefty reliever. They don't really have options. I can go through the guys that they could call up, perhaps. Uh, I know that Sean Doolittle has pitched in Fredericksburg a few times this week and just pitched back-to-back days, so you'd think that he's getting close to being available. Um, but... Maybe they go Jose Ferrer, was in the Futures game last year, was one of their better left-handed relief prospects. Problem is, in 25 games this year, he's thrown 30 innings and he's walked 18 batters. His average against is 274. Like It hasn't been a very good run for him in AAA here. So maybe he kicked the tires on due. I would have thought they wanted to bump him up a level or two before they throw him back in the big leagues. But do you think they need to go lefty, or would you just call up the best arm, whether that's – Jordan Weems
2: or somebody else. I mean, it'd be nice to have a lefty, but it's hard not to just say, take the best arm. Obviously having a lefty, you're ra-
1: by the way, in the bullpen since the end of April, Jesse was writing about how like you looked at this weekend. They, they went right against left against Schwarber, right against left against Harper and mm-hmm. big spots. Cause they, they just don't have anyone to bring in. They literally didn't have a lefty in their pen.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I don't fault him because Bonda wasn't exactly cutting it at the major league level. So you had to move on from that. So now you've had an all righty bullpen and, uh, Rob Thompson was talking about it, the Phillies manager that, you know, they wouldn't have gone three straight lefties at the top of the lineup on, I believe it was either Friday or I think it was Friday if they had a lefty in the bullpen. So you are helping out the other manager, but at the same point, do I want to bring up a lefty who isn't reliable or do I want to try and bring up the best arm? Like, I mean, that's a tough decision again, like whatever decision you make, it seems like with the bullpen, it just doesn't seem like it's going to end up being the right one. So I mean, Take your pick. I I could be swayed either way.
1: (laughs) Maybe the answer will be Alberto Baldonado, who's at AAA. He's 30. He's left-handed. We saw him in the big leagues. He's a huge guy. I want to say he's like 6'8". He's pitched 27 innings with 26 strikeouts, uh, giving up 23 hits. The problem is he also has a lot of walks, 16 walks in 27 innings and a a whip of about 1.4. So uh, not a great season for him. The guy that has the best numbers right now, Triple A, if you don't care necessarily about right versus left, is Gerson Moreno, a 27-year-old at Rochester, who's got a 270 RA in 22 games. 29 strikeouts in 26 innings is a good sign. But, and this is a theme with the Red Wings, a lot of walks. 18 walks in 26 innings. Like, can you really count on that? I mean, the good thing for him is the league's hitting 159 off of him. So maybe he'd be an option. We've seen Jordan Weems come up a bunch. Uh, he's done a little bit better job than some of these other guys not walking batters, but even still, his walk rate's over four and a half per nine, striking out a batter per inning, 24 innings into the year, average against his 163. You know, maybe they go back to Weems, the right-hander. But this goes back to while there's some prospects that now we like in the system, there's just not still not a ton of depth that you, you know, in a lot of teams you just dip into the minors and you go get a guy throwing 97 who's got great numbers in AAA. Like, they don't really have that. That's the next phase of of building the system back up is to have a bunch of options that currently uh, they really don't possess.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's the tough part right now is, you know, again, going back to do you take the lefty? Do you take the best arm? It's so tough when you really only have those three guys that you trust in close game situations. And you're essentially using them more than you probably would have planned on because you're in most ball games. So you're going to try to keep the score right where it's at. You can't just use Thaddeus Ward in an eighth inning, one run ball game, even if you're down because you want to try to use your A guys. But at the same point, you can't use Edwards, Harvey and Finnegan every single day. So it's not a good spot for Davey to be in the bullpen in terms of in the minor leagues isn't great. So, I mean, this is just going to be one of the growing pains for the Nationals this season. You're just going to have to understand that at times they're going to go into late-game situations with the lead, and they're going to blow it. We've already seen that this year, and unfortunately, I think it's probably going to happen quite a bit more throughout the rest of the year. So I want to dive into the minor leagues really quickly.
1: We like to do that as often as we can on the pod. Uh, We're closing in on the end of the show here, but just for a couple quick moments, I thought it would be worth mentioning – Uh, how some of the Nationals prospects have been faring here? Uh, James Wood, you and I talked a lot on the podcast last week about getting to see him and how he had been playing. Uh, he looks comfortable in Double A. It took about four games, and now he settled in. Huh? Three hits, a homer, and two doubles on Sunday. Uh, his OPS up over 900 now in Double A. We had seen him when he was like one for his first 12, and and then one for 15 because he had three strikeouts. And since then, he's basically just blistered everything.
2: But what a quick turnaround for him in double A, huh? Yeah, and gave him a day off on Saturday, him and Hassel both. Maybe that off day kind of reset him a little bit, comes back with a three hit performance, a homer and two doubles. I mean, the guy looks like he's going to be a stud. So, I mean, I don't know that I need to see him yet this season. I know some people are talking about maybe in September calling him up. I don't know that I'd get too frisky with it. But, I mean, this guy's going to be a stud, I think
1: couple of guys in the system that are really hot over the last week and a half so james wood has four homers in his last 10 days uh which is obviously a system best uh he's on fire brady house had a two homer game he's got three homers over the last 10 days he's 20 years old he's at fredericksburg he was the first round pick just a couple of years ago uh how about hitting 409 with a 909 slug and a 1300 ops now over his last 22 at bats he's nine hits and three homers over 10 days he's been red hot uh, Trey Lipscomb, who was a third-round pick out of Tennessee last year for the Nationals, is their number 18 prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. He can hit. Uh, he's got two homers. He's got 25 total bases in the last 10 days. He's 14 for his last 43 at the plate during that stretch, hitting 326 with a 943 OPS. Uh, Jeremy De La Rosa, who is the number eight prospect in the system via Pipeline, 21 years old, A-plus Wilmington, same lineup as Lipscomb, has had a really nice week here. He's got a couple of home runs. He is 12 for his last 38, which is good for an average of 316 over the last 10 days. A 1080 OPS. Uh, He's responded really, really well, man. Having a good year quietly in a plus ball. Like last year, he broke out in Fredericksburg, repeating the level. And I think people were kind of stunned by what the 20-year-old did. And he wasn't really considered that high end of a prospect, but he really jumped onto some prospect lists. All of a sudden now, An A plus ball at 21. He's got an OPS right around 780, and he's showing that he can hit for some power. He's got 10 doubles and three homers. He can run a little bit. He's got seven stolen bases, a good athlete. So it's been a good couple of weeks for him as well uh, in the system offensively.
2: Yeah. And then the other guy you got to mention, I know that I don't know how he's done entirely over the last week or so, but Elijah Green hit one out of the ballpark. last week like I think it was Thursday night as well the same night that James Wood got his first double-a homer Elijah Green literally hit one out of the ballpark I think it was 436 just showing you some of that potential that he's got the reason he was picked number five so I mean a lot of good going on in the Nats minor league system a lot to get excited about for the future of this ball club
1: yeah he's seventh in the system over the last 10 days just as a sample in OPS 824 so House Wood De La Rosa Lipscomb who I mentioned And then Jared McKenzie, who they drafted out of Baylor a handful of rounds into the draft a couple years ago, uh, A-plus ball right now. Um, He and Drew Millis, who we just had on the podcast a couple weeks ago, did a great interview with the catcher at AAA, uh, 873 OPS last 10 days, are the only guys in the system uh, higher end than Elijah Green in that area. Uh, We can dive into some pitching maybe on the next pod, but that's a quick update on just how things have gone in the minor leagues. Toby, final thoughts on the Nats before we say goodbye for episode 56.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they fare against the Diamondbacks. You would have liked to see in a little bit better game on Sunday. You would have liked to see them win that game when Gore is pitching fairly well, only gave them two runs of support in the Phillies series. But I think they'll have a good chance to showcase what they've got against a surprising Diamondbacks team this season, and excited to see what they can do. Yeah, they have come back
1: the Nats, I should say have come back from like four run deficits in the seventh inning or later four times this year. And they've lost three of those games, I think it is. Two of the games they've come back from those deficits were against the Diamondbacks, if you remember, out in Arizona in that series where uh, they had huge rallies. The D-backs are a stunning 35-25, 10 over five hundred, tied with the Dodgers leading the NL West. And there's a lot of reasons for it. Christian Walker, the former Oriole, has 12 homers, is hitting for a lot of power. But I'll tell you who's an unbelievable player is this rookie Corbin Carroll, ten home runs, sixteen steals. You know he's he's gonna hit twenty five homers and steal maybe close to fifty bags. He's hitting two ninety with about a nine hundred OPS. He's been awesome for them. Lourdes Gurriel, who they brought over, has been sensational as well. Nine ten OPS with nine home runs, and they've got some really underrated starting pitching as well. No one ever talks about Zach Gallen, but he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. 88 strikeouts and 78 innings. I think the Nats are going to miss him in this series, if memory serves. But Merrill Kelly, who pitched in the WBC for Team USA, a 280 ERA, 77 Ks in 70 innings, and a 194 average against. Another guy no one talks about who's got really good numbers. Pitcher that he, I don't even know who he is. Tommy Henry has good numbers for them. So you look at their rotation numbers, Like it's it's not household names or stars, but they're pretty good, man. Like They can pitch. They got young offense. They might hang around in the NL West.
2: Yeah. Last thought on Corbin Carroll. You mentioned him. If you haven't gotten a chance to watch him, you have to like, if you remember how Trey Turner would run around, like he glides around. And so he didn't always look like he was moving the fastest. We've talked about this before with taller players. Corbin Carroll's not very tall. And so when he runs, it looks like he is speeding around, man. He's just as fast (laughs) as Trey Turner. So he's fun to watch.
1: Yeah. He can flat out fly. He might be the fastest player in baseball right now. He is. But to your point, I, I stood next to him and did an interview with him last summer at the futures game, uh, and I think he's listed at five eight. I'm five eight, and we maybe we were the same height. I want to say I might have been like a hair taller than him. But uh, if he's five ten, I'll eat your hat. I mean, that guy—that's—I that, <laughs> think he's listed at five ten. I should say. I think people, you know, kind of acknowledge that he's shorter than that. But yeah, maybe I'll give him five nine on a good day if he's wearing st- spikes, maybe. But. The dude has pop. He's a small guy, but really, really good player. Should be a fun series. All right, Toby. Hopefully, I'll see you at the ballpark, man. It was good catching up. And we'll do it again soon. Sounds good, Grant. See ya. Nats fans, thank you for listening. Please spread the word. We got to subscribe. We got to rate. We got to review. We got to do all the podcasty things that you can do to grow this podcast, to make this uh, continue to get bigger and better so that we can keep doing this. So please spread the word. Make sure Nats fans are listening and uh, at least that they know about this pod so they can see if it is for them. Until next time, enjoy Nats Baseball.